I'm going to ask you to look in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I have, as a part of my morning prayer practice, a devotional book that I've been reading. It, it's, uh, a couple, there's a couple of different ones that I, that I have that I incorporate into all of that. And I was reading this morning's entry just before I was heading down to my study to finish preparing to preach today. And the last line of the entry in that book this morning said this, God is pursuing the deepest places in your soul. And I, I read that knowing what I would be preaching this morning, and I said, boy, that is it. That's it. As I'm preparing to preach this morning, that's the bottom line up front. God is pursuing the deepest places in your soul. He wants all of you. Now, to some level and some degree, he has parts of all of us, doesn't he? I mean, the fact that you're here this morning, for whatever reason that you came this morning, you came to a place of worship to acknowledge that there is a God in heaven and in some way or form to express faith in that. But God wants the deepest places of our soul. I want to ask you a question which you can answer in your own heart today. Do you ever feel like or, or think to yourself, I know that I can be more than I am. I know I, I, that I could live better. I could be better for God. And I know that. I think that any one of us who are in any way in touch with our, our soul as a believer knows what, that, what I mean when I say that. You, you felt that to some measure. And here's the thing. Those thoughts, I want to differentiate. Those thoughts of I know I can be better, which come not from a place of condemnation and shame. But I'm talking about when it comes from a place of hopefulness, a place inside of you that really knows I can be more. I can have more of God. I can be more with God. I know it's possible. So we're not talking about the voices of condemnation that say you're pathetic. We're talking about the voice inside of your deep soul that says you can become what God wants you to be. That's a good voice. That idea of I know that I was made and actually redeemed by Jesus to be more than I am right now. Matthew gives us, and we've been studying in the Beatitudes, where Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The thought and the feeling in your heart that says, I know I can be more, and I want to be more, that's to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, friend, if you have ever felt that or thought that, I want to tell you this morning, you're absolutely right about yourself. You can be more. You have the capacity to be with God and in Christ more. You can do it. And as much as you may believe it and want to believe it, know this, that your heavenly Father believes it more than you do. You have the capacity to do it in him. And listen to this, Jesus, the shepherd of your soul, he knows it to be true himself. He knows that you are capable of more than you are right now. I couldn't help but think of Peter again and on the night of Jesus' arrest. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, Now, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. And, and, he, and he as much says, buckle up because it's going to happen. Because the very next line is, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, he says, strengthen thy brethren. 
Now see, Peter had this sort of false sense of security because his response in just the very next verses is, Lord, I will never betray you. I will never turn my back on you. I'll be with you to the end. But Jesus, knowing the true heart of Peter, knew that Peter would fail. But he also knew what Peter would become. And the same is true about you this morning. He knows your heart. He knows where you are. And he knows where you are going. He knows what you are becoming in him. So, so let, me, let me speak or introduce it kind of in a personal way. Some of the personal revelation in which God brought this message to me. And I have to kind of start with confession. But see if it resonates. I've realized all over again this week just how little I know about the holiness of God. Now, uh, it's helpful to insert a definition right there. Because when we talk about the holiness of God, what do we mean? What is the holiness of God? What is holiness itself? Well, holiness, we use the word holy or holiness. And, and, and from our text this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse number 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So we use the word holy, we use the word holiness. It's here in the text. What does it mean? I need to know, well, first of all, what God is because he's holy. And I need to know what God expects of me because he says for me to be holy. So what is holiness? Holiness is completeness. Holiness is wholeness. Holiness is complete integrity through and through. Holiness is what we're studying in the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday night. Holiness is being unbroken and unbreakable. Holiness is total integrity. No darkness, no deception, no defect. Holiness is the key to more joy in our life. When I'm being healed by the presence of God, I am finding joy. Holiness is the way to more patience. And oh my, does that reveal my need for holiness. I think I've determined over the last 72 hours, if it's not the greatest problem I have, it's up there. I am an impatient person. I'm hearing some amens. <laughs> and you're amening yourself, not just that I'm an impatient person, right? Mostly that was men amening in that one. Holiness is the key to more patience. It's the way to more patience. It's the key to true love in our life. Holiness is complete honesty. Holiness is a life of purity inwardly and outwardly. Holiness is the very nature of God. As Psalm 99 and verse 9 said this morning when Brother Corey read it, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Now, I know our initial reaction to everything that I just said is probably similar to this. I can't be that. I can't be that. How can I be unbroken and unbreakable? How can I be completely one without any deception and any deformity and any defect? Preacher, that's not me. I can't be that. No one can be that. And I understand and that brings us back to what I said. 
But I know so little about the holiness of God. You see, I wasn't speaking about knowing so little about facts of holiness. What I'm talking about is understanding that I know so little of experiential truth about holiness. You could insert different words into the statement I just made. Many people know facts about Jesus. Few people know experiential truth about Jesus. I have so little knowledge of true holiness. But on the other side of that, to be encouraging, I'm learning. I'm learning. Now I wonder today as you sit here, are you, would you say of yourself, do you feel that you're learning what it means to be a holy person? To live with true holiness. Now, I told you, uh, uh, I was going to get to a confession, and some of you are anxiously awaiting. But before I go on, let's be clear. We may not think that we can be holy like God is holy, but you need to understand the passage this morning says that we can be. God would not put it in His Word if it's not a possibility in our life. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. And therein lies the key. We can be holy because He is holy. And again, Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So He would not tell us this if it were not a possibility in our life. But I need to tell you right here and now, and this cannot be ignored, you have to want it. You have to want it. You have to want holiness like you thirst for a drink of water when you're hot and tired. You have to want holiness. You have to want holiness the way you can't wait to get laid down when you are worn out and stressed out and you need rest. You have to want holiness the way you can't wait to, to get to the dinner table after a long, hard day and you feel famished and you need bread and you need good food and you have to want holiness in the same way, not metaphorically, but literally. You have to so want holiness that you live in a constant state of recognizing your need for more of God. Now, until you live there, you will not live holy. This week, on two separate occasions, I experienced something like this. Something like uh, where I was doing something that in times past, I hadn't really noticed it bothering me as much. I, I didn't really notice it affecting me like it did this time. So, I've been getting some lessons this week on holiness. Thursday night, I was watching a TV show. Now, no, it wasn't Andy Griffith show. I should have been watching the Andy Griffith show. I was watching a TV show, a show that I'd watched many times before and given very little thought uh, to it or, or did I ever recall any feeling afterwards of being affected by it. But the very next morning, when I woke up and went to my place of prayer, I found my spirit very hindered. I found it very difficult to enter into prayer. And so I just sat with that a little bit. 
And I just meditated on that for a little while until I came to realize what it was. I was carrying the residual effects of that show I'd watched the night before. Now, I want to be clear that this was not a bad show. In fact, it's considered a family show from back in the 90s. Probably far, far removed from what's out there today, right? And again, many times I've watched it and never thought much about it, never felt that I was greatly affected by it. But what I, what I noticed, though, is that as I watch this and as I process this, my soul has grown much more sensitive toward the things that were talked about, toward the things that were implied, toward the things that were laughed about. And all of a sudden, it's no more something that I can just ignore. What that is, is the soul becoming more sensitive to the holiness of God. That growing sensitivity. It seems to be wrecking more and more of my fun is a very good thing. And I want to say this. If you're experiencing that in your life, don't fight it. A lot of times that's our first reaction. Our first is to push back against it and, and say, well, and we go back to it. And we resist what God is trying to do in bringing us out of these things. Now, I want to be holy just like you do. And I want to be whole on the inside. But there are those things which war against the soul. Look at how Peter explains it in chapter 2, verse number 9. He sets us up here. He really does. He says, dear Christian... Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And then he gets us. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Those things that draw us away from God to any measure. He says, leave them alone. Get away from them. You're a stranger and a pilgrim in this world and you're on a journey headed to your homeland and you need to stay away from those things that would deter you and distract you and delay you. Abstain from the things that war against your soul. Now we've been talking about spiritual warfare. You need to understand your soul is in a battle. And if you lie down and sleep in the foxhole, friend, it's not going to save you. You're going to get jabbed with a bayonet, blown with a grenade. You're in trouble. The only way to fight this battle is to fight. So, I want to be holy. You want to be holy. 
what we find is that as we grow in grace and grow in holiness and become stronger in the Lord, we see this thing of growth happening inside of us. We, we go from the things that are acceptable. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, you know, that's okay. I mean, it's not bad. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's not what you know, the world's doing. And yet all the time, it is exactly what the world's doing. I mean, why do we say that? We try to convince ourselves that, you know, that we're, we've got some purer way of doing worldliness. We're doing exactly what the world's doing. But as we grow and as we mature, we go from acceptable to just doing what we want to do to moderation. And we begin to temper the things that we do. And we begin to say, okay, well, yeah, maybe this stuff's okay right here, but I'm definitely done with all this stuff, and, and I'm not going down that lane anymore, but, but, but here we are in this stuff. And, and we're practicing moderation. That's a mark of growth. That's a mark of maturing. That's a good thing. But then... There is this move from moderation to abstinence. Meaning that we have matured to the place where we're putting away childish things. We're saying, you know, I really just don't want any part of that anymore. You know, I just, any, I'm giving time to that. I can't give time to the things that really matter. I'm doing the, now look, friends, I'm not going to outline and dictate to you what's your thing and what's not your thing. What I want you to know is there's a God in heaven who loves you, believes in you, and will inform you on how you ought to live your life. But you've got to want this. That's what I'm telling you. You've got to want holiness, and he will teach you what it means to live a holy life. I want to learn how to live at the level of holiness that Jesus says I can have. I want to be more and, and, and more and more yielded to the one who is pursuing those deepest places of my soul. And as I prayed over that the other morning, the Holy Spirit, the one who guides us to all truth, brought me to this passage in 1 Peter and, and, and said in, in his own way, others are dealing with this too. They need this truth. And that's how we get to the message this morning, right? Because the Spirit of God knows what you need. The Spirit of God needs to help the preacher out so the preacher can do his part to be a vessel of honor to help you out. And that's how the process works. So if you want to become more, if you want to live up to the level of holiness that God expects, there are a few things in the passage that I just want to highlight before we're done. Notice that if you want to become more and live up to the levelness of whole, level of holiness God expects that the first thing that I wanted to highlight is that you've got a purpose to know deep life with God. Now, I've been saying that in other words, but you've got a purpose to know the deep life with God. You have to determine in your heart that it is not enough to be shallow anymore. It is not enough to get my fix, my spiritual fix, when I go to church, and in between, you know, I just kind of hang in there. You have to say in your heart and say to God, I want to know deep life with God. Peter says in verse number 9 of chapter 1, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, 
of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Notice the prophets were searching and inquiring diligently. Searching water, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed, not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, and watch that last line, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels stand back and see the story of our salvation and say, whoa, this is amazing. This is an awesome mystery. I wish I knew more. Tell me more. I want to know more. They can't experience it the way we experience it. But is that our heart's cry? Do we look at it and say, Lord, I want to know more. It's not enough to say that I believe in Jesus. When Jesus himself said, follow me. And I don't want to live shallow. I want, to, I want that deep life with God. How badly do you want it? How much of a passion do you have for the deep life with God in your day-to-day life? And I use that word on purpose, a passion. You know that the word passion at its root has the idea, the meaning of suffering. That's why it's called the passion of Christ. Does your soul long to the point of suffering to know more of Jesus? Because that's what we're invited into. Church members get far more stirred up about who will win the big game. Who's going to be the next president? When will the next eye gadget go on sale? You know? They get more stirred up about these things than they seem to ever get stirred up about knowing more of God and His heart. Well, we're stirred up. We are stirred up. Everybody in here is stirred up. We all get stirred up, don't we? Oh man, we're stir crazy. We're all over the place doing this, getting there, accomplishing that, meeting that deadline. We are stirred up. And yet God says in Psalm 46, in verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. We, 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 we to find deep life with God, have to learn how to be still and stop being stirred up. Are we praying earnestly to know God more? Are we spending time alone with Jesus, seeking more of His mind and His fruit in our life? You know, those early disciples, as they walked around with Jesus, were always asking questions. They were always asking Him to teach them, explain to them, show them. This is exactly how our life ought to be. There ought not to be days go by, and frankly... There ought not be many hours that go by that we're not saying, Jesus, help me with this. What is your answer? I can't do this. Show me the way here. Lord, what do you want? 
What am I supposed to say? How do I, how do, I do this thing? How do I handle this, this thing in my life right now? But many will go days, maybe weeks, without really directing your heart toward Jesus and saying, Lord, teach me, show me. To be a disciple is to be a learner. It's to be an apprentice. Have you ever been an apprentice before? you ever been around an apprentice? Or you know about an apprentice, right? That's somebody that works with somebody who knows a craft, a trade. And they will teach them how to do it. They will not only show them, but then they will teach them and they will put their hands on the thing and they will guide them to make them a master of the thing too. And Jesus says, that's what I want out of your life. How, how are you doing in your apprenticeship of Jesus this morning? So we must purpose to know the deep life with God. And then he tells us, that if we've purposed to know the deep life with God, then we must prepare to grow. Prepare to grow. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here are some musts, some must-dos if we are going to become more and live at the level God is calling us up to. What are these musts? He says, gird up the loins of your mind. It means, of course, to cinch up. Anybody who's ever been in Sunday school or taught Sunday school knows the image of the Jewish people girding up their loins and tucking their, into their belt so that they could move quickly and run, right? And there's also the image that Paul gives in Ephesians 6 of the girdle of truth that the soldier wears that holds everything together. I was just talking to Athena about a piece of equipment we had in the military yesterday. I said, I'd love to have one of those things again. You know, you said everything was right here. I mean, anything you needed was right there. It's, it's really handy. And uh, when we think about girding up the loins of our mind, it means to cinch it up, draw it in. In our case, we could think of this imagery. Tighten up your belt. Now, let me ask you a question. When do you tighten up your belt? I mean, in a positive way, right? When do you tighten up your belt? When you've lost some weight, right? When you lose weight, it is a victory to tighten up the belt. How many of you fellows like me have a belt? that uh, it has those little indention marks behind different holes on it. Because, you know, sometimes business is booming and sometimes business is slow. And you adjust accordingly. But spiritually speaking, Peter says, cinch up the belt, tighten it up. Why? Because you've shed some weight. Remember what Hebrews said, laying aside the sin and every weight, laying it aside. We're not looking to add it back on now, so we're tightening up, we're cinching up the belt. And the closer you get to God, friends, the more obvious the small stuff becomes. And we start laying it aside and dropping the weight so that we can cinch up the belt. We don't expect to ever go back to it. It's gone. And then he says, be sober. This is the word that means, you may guess, don't be drunk. Be sober. Don't be out there getting drunk. Now, it's a call for abstinence. But not just in terms of drugs and alcohol and those things, but the must here is that we must not allow things into our influence which take us away from watchfulness and prayer. 
Our great mission in this final hour of the age is what Jesus said in Mark 13 and verse 33. He said, take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. The Son of Man is coming. And the times are getting bad. And you are to watch and pray. You must be sober-minded. Not giving yourself up to the things that make us vulnerable. Most vulnerable guy around is the drunkard laying on the side of the street. He's defenseless. He's unaware. And so it will be with us if we are overtaken by the offering of the world when they offer to us their amusements and their distractions and their mind-numbing tricks. And we become unaware and we become defenseless. Be sober, he says. Then he says, hope to the end. Hope to the end. Expect the coming of Jesus And expect to become more like Jesus. Hope to the end. Hope. Remember what I said when I started. This thought inside of us that says, I know I could be more. I know I should be more. It's coming from a place of hopefulness, not condemnation. It is the Spirit of God prompting you and goading you and saying, you can be more. And you will be more. Look, direct your attention. Focus. He's coming. Hope to the end. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, Beloved, now are we the sons of God? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is, and every man, listen to this, because I mean, it's one thing to stand over this side and say, Hallelujah, one day I'll be right. One day Jesus is going to make me what I ought to be. He's still working on me. But the verse goes on to say, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. In other words, Jesus said, "Take." He says, come and yoke up with me. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, you're in the yoke too. And I know he's doing most of the pulling. And I know he's the one that's making it happen. But he says, you have a part in this. Purify yourself. Work with me. Work with the Spirit. Work with the truth. And then he says in verse 14, put away the old stuff. I'm going to just wrap up by just highlighting these last two thoughts, but I would just simply say to that, our mission is always forward, never backward. Put away the old stuff. I want to pose the question to you this morning. Are there some things in your life right now that you've taken up again habits or entertainments or relationships that you left behind way back when you began to follow Jesus, but you've taken them up again. Things which you know in your heart that they are hindrances to your ability to mature in holiness. And if there are things like that, then we need to bring, if we want the holiness... We're going to have to bring those things to Him, and we're going to have to say, Lord, I know this is something that is a habit in my life. It has a hold on me right now. I cannot deliver myself. I cannot free myself. I cannot heal myself. But I'm coming to you because I want your holiness. And I acknowledge that I'm going to have some slip-ups, some failures. I can't perfect this on my own. But Jesus, I know that with time and my turning of my heart to you, you can help me, you can heal me, you can fix this in my life. But it begins now. It begins today. It begins with bringing those things to Him. 
And then I would wrap it up by saying that verse 15 and 16 where we read at the beginning tells us that we're to pursue holiness by the imitation of God. Because he says, be ye holy. As he which hath called you is holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Let me say the most obvious thing. You're going to have to fix your attention on God more and more if you're ever going to become more and more. And to do that, to see and know God, means I must see and know Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said to two of those new disciples, he said, when they asked, well, where do you dwell? Where do you live? He said, come, come and see, come and see. And Jesus invites us right now, every day of our life, he invites us, come and see, come and see, follow me. Other than church meetings, are you spending time in the Gospels? Are you reading the words of Jesus for yourself? Are you praying through your day to receive more of Jesus? These are the things we must do. This is how we become more. This is how we receive more. Don't let others do all the spiritual thinking for you. The, the good voices of other good people that speak Jesus into our life are good for us. But we must go for Jesus ourselves. Don't let others do all the spiritual thinking for you. Exercise your own mind in this pursuit. Just write the reference down, Colossians 3, verses 4 through 10. You can read it later today if you have the opportunity, but in short, it tells us to put off the old and put on the new. And the thing that you've got to understand about that is it's an ongoing thing. You know, 25 years ago, I put off some stuff in my life. You know what's happened to me, brother buddy? There's been time down the road I've had to put that stuff off again. But I thought once we got in Jesus, all the old man was dead and gone. Somebody's asleep. Somebody's not paying attention. And Paul says you've got to put it off and put Jesus on. Put that old man off and put Jesus on. And you're going to have to do that, friend, for the rest of your days on this planet. Until he comes and we see him and then we're like him. But you just keep doing it. Keep putting it off and putting it on. The world's always trying to attach itself to our mind. Temptations are always luring us into sin. Putting off the things that would help us to, to walk away from that and be strong and putting on the things that help make us holy, this is wisdom. So, my word of caution to you this morning, and I go back to what the AP read earlier. Psalm 99 verse 9 said, the Lord is holy, but in the verse right before that, Psalm 99 verse 8, it says, Thou, Lord, answered them, speaking of Israel in the wilderness, Thou answered them, O Lord our God, Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Now that phrase caught my attention. What did that mean? God forgave them, and he forgives you. But that verse means that God, literally it means God avenged their sinfulness. 
But what we understand that to mean in application is, is that God allowed the consequences of their choices to take their course. And God allows you to make choices. And God forgives you when you repent. But friends, He allowed the consequences to take their, their courses. And it always takes me back to Psalm 106. Now listen to me and I'm going to pray. It talks about in Psalm 106 how over and over and over there was this cycle going on with Israel. They forgot God. And when they forgot God, they rebelled, they got in trouble, they became carnal, and then God would help them and they'd remember Him. They'd call out to God. They'd say, oh, God is good, and then it wouldn't be long, they'd forget God. Does that sound like somebody's life in here this morning? You know a little bit about that roller coaster ride? Psalm 106, and I believe it's verse 15, says, They had forgotten God, and they were lusting in the wilderness. And it says that He gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. You see the danger of that? It always makes me think, be careful where you set your affections. Be careful where you set your desires. God may allow you to have more of what you're longing to have, but what will be the cost?